G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. The people were saying to us, what is it about you people? You are different. And we were able to hand, because we did have the use of the book of Luke in Arabic, and when people asked for it, we we were handing it out. Asked them, first of all, if it was okay, and they were quite happy to receive them, although you can't just go around handing the Bible out there, you'd be shocked. But if they asked for it, we were giving it. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, last time we heard how in the early 1990s, Gloria Hardy decided to help the Kurdish people in northern Iraq after she learned about their desperate plight. She had seen in a news report on TV how their homes had been bombed by Saddam Hussein. Ironically, this all happened after she had felt that there was no way that God could possibly use a 51-year-old swimming coach. But as we heard, God had big plans for her that she could never have imagined. Today, we'll hear more of her adventures and how God used her to minister to the Kurdish people in northern Iraq. Once again, Gloria's joining us from the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, and she's chatting with Eric Scadabo. So you were doing odd projects, and in that culture, tell us about the time you kind of went against the culture and uh, you told the guys what to do. (laughs) Tell us about that time. Yes, well, um, in that culture, women are just dirt. They're not respected at all, Hmm. and they do all the hard work. All the manual labor, just the women are doing it? Well, men, men do some manual labor. But the women are the ones that really got, they carry the load. And, mm. and um, in one case, when we were helping them take uh, sticks for their fires across this river on a raft, they were handing the sticks to the women to walk up this cliff. And there were loads of sticks, are quite a heavy load to have to walk up a, a real, quite a sheer cliff. Yeah. And the women were up and down, up and down doing this. And there's the men just sitting down watching it. So I then got them in joking way to stand at different points up the cliff and then pass the sticks, the the women pass the sticks onto the men. We got the sticks up via the men. (laughs) So so they actually responded to your instruction, even though that's against the culture. Yes, and of course I later on found out because different ones were saying to me, why do you think you were so successful in a lot of the stuff you're doing? And it was pointed out to me that they respect older people. Mm. And so that was in my favor. <laughs> yeah, so you not only got them involved instead of just sitting and watching all the work yeah. being done, uh, but yeah. you placed them strategically so they could just hand it one to the other yeah. to kind of make a chain yeah. and an efficient yeah. way of getting the sticks up the hill. Yeah. And they, were, they all enjoyed themselves, so that was good too. Didn't you get them singing yeah. too? Oh, yes, we, we sang and we did all sorts of things there. Yeah. Wow. We made mud bricks, helped them build their homes again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what was some of the things that impressed you with their culture, even though they had very little? Uh, I would say perhaps hospitality 
comes at the top of the list because mm-hmm. they would give you the shirt off their back and they had nothing. And it was just amazing. We were warned because you go to a village and they'd want you to come in and eat. And we were warned not to eat too much because what happens, the men are all being fed with you mm-hmm. and no women around. And then the women feed later if there is food left over. Oh. And they're the ones that prepare everything. Mm-hmm. Another wonderful, beautiful thing that happened, we went down in, when we were in a, the city of Zacco, we went into a little chai shop. There's no hotels there because they don't drink beer. or there's, Yeah, there's no alcohol. Mm-hmm. And um, that's in um, Muslim faith. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, we'll get a little um, cup of tea. And my friend and I were just sitting in there having our little cup of tea. And then we went to pay. And he, he said, oh, no, no, no. That man down there, and there was a man walking down the road quite a fair way on, and he'd already paid for us. Oh, wow. And, you know, that oh, that was amazing, you know. It just it, We couldn't even go and say thank you to him. Mm. <laughs> yeah. just said, it's amazing. So you were made and to feel was, welcome there. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Kurds, they welcomed us everywhere we went. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't want us to go because we meant safety to them. Mm-hmm. How is that? How did you mean safety to them? Well, because we were there, they felt more secure. Yeah. But not that we could have done it. As it turned out, we couldn't do anything either. We had to go, uh, which was very sad time for us because we didn't want to go, but we were forced to. When, mm-hmm. it, when we were attacked and the UN had control in. Mm-hmm. So while you were there, you could hear and see the fighting going on in the distance. Oh, yes. Right? yes. 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 One thing that horrified me was at night time, you'd see these trucks loading young boys, maybe about 12, onto big trucks and they had big clashing cop guns mm. and it was brothers often fighting against brothers, depending where they could get a little bit of money. And so um, the fathers were putting a clashing gun into their boys' hands and sending them off to war at night. And it mm. just we just watched them load and we thought, how many of them are going to come back, mm. you know, alive? Yeah. It was terrible, sad. Yeah. And I had times where I was watching bombs coming out of planes Mm-hmm. Uh, not quite over where we were, but over the mountains who were bombing uh, a group called PKK out of the mountains. And so I was attending to a little village and we heard this plane just soaring, or many of them, soaring up into the air. Mm-hmm. And the people that we were with, they all ran. And I just we just stood there. We thought, what's going on? And next minute, the plane stops or sort of, sort of floated in the air and the plane just drop these bombs on the mountains, and we said, "This is this is unreal." You know, yeah. you just can't believe it. Yeah. I mean, you see that in movies, um, but you're seeing it in reality. Yes. Yes. Did yes. you have any fear that they would drop bombs near you? Uh, we did have a few near us, but I don't know. I'd looking at it now, I probably would be frightened, but I wasn't frightened then. No, mm. it just it was where I needed to be. God gave you a peace, as we mentioned earlier. He, he did. He gave me peace. And, hmm. and the people were saying to us, what is it about you people? You are different. 
and we were able to hand because we did have the use of um, the book of Luke in in uh, Arabic, mm-hmm. and uh, when people asked for it, we would we were handing it out. I was handing a book to uh, an elder in a village. Mm-hmm. Um, asked them first of all if it was okay, and they were quite happy to receive them. Although you can't just go around handing the Bible out there, you'd be shocked. But if they asked for it, we were giving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we don't know the results of all of that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but seeds were planted? Uh, yes, planting seeds, mm-hmm. yeah. And then also God was working on your heart in another area regarding health care. Tell us about that. Yes. Oh, well, that day of the bombing, um, I was attending to children with shocking uh, sort of scalp problems in their hair. It was just mm. dreadful. And yeah. uh, we had some ointment, which were very little ointment, mm. and they had pink. A lot of people had what they call pink eye, which was like conjunctivitis, mm. really. Yeah. And we did have a few tubes of that, and, of course, that's what made them think we were doctors. Huh. But I was cutting the hair off around these areas and just using salt and water to clean it up a bit and then put this ointment on. And they just thought that we were, you know, we, we had miracle, <laughs> which I think we did. We had those God behind it and uh, we're just cleaning up people. So they just, they just thought we were doctors, you know. Huh. And there was only one doctor to, oh, you just not in these areas. There was no doctor at all. You know, you had to go down to the main city for one doctor. Yeah, it was it was terrible. Yeah, terrible conditions for these people. So that inspired you to get some medical training yourself. No, well, we had a primary healthcare course, which I wanted to do after this experience I mm-hmm. had. Yeah, we learned basic first aid things, and even doing. Yeah, injections and stuff like that, and uh, even to save a life to be able to pierce the throat, you know, to get, get the air to them and that. Hmm. But I don't know that I would have been able to continue to do that myself. But we learned that, and hmm. uh, we weren't really qualified, so medically speaking, but we learned how to do it if necessary. And we had a book called Where There Is No Doctor, and it's a great book, it's, you know. Oh, okay. It helps anybody along if they don't know medical things. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. to kind of sum up your time in Iraq, you went back and forth uh, like every six months for several years. Is that right? Yeah, well, I I was there for six months. Then I yeah, went home, realizing I needed a primary health course, which I did in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And then I went back and I was given that um, a prophecy in um, Isaiah 61. And that almost came to fruition eventually. What was the prophecy? It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord is anointed to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to blind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives. And it goes on, you know, and yeah, it was yeah. just so much to a T of what I was... Uh, but that was really before I'd actually gone back again into Iraq in 95 and and then I got involved of course with the prison You're listening to The Story Our guest today is once again Gloria Hardy who's the author of the book 
the Master's Touch, about the many adventures she's gone on serving the Lord. As we've been hearing, Gloria's sharing about her first big adventure when the Lord led her to minister to the Kurdish people in northern Iraq, even though this was a war-torn part of the world when she arrived in the early 1990s. We'll hear more of Gloria's story when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Gloria Hardy sharing about how the Lord led her to minister to the Kurdish people in northern Iraq, even though this was a war-torn part of the world when she arrived in the early 1990s. Now, here's more of Gloria's chat with Eric Scatterbo. So many things you were involved in. At one point, you visited a prison and you noticed that they couldn't go outside because... Well, why, yeah. why couldn't they go outside? They're all stuck in one room inside. Well, it used to be an old train station, I believe, but mm-hmm. so it was built into a prison. And the wall of the actual exercise yard was not high enough. And uh, I went to the... Because I, I, when I first went into the prison, the director showed me right through. I actually went into the cells with all these men, 80 mm-hmm. of them, in one cell, wow. and I could just walk along a little passage. There was just enough room for me to walk between them all, mm-hmm. and they all had their little spot to sit on, and that's that's the only place they could move. And they had little plastic bags stuck up on the wall with their belongings in. And I went through the most disgusting situation there you could ever imagine, mm-hmm. even when I went in the front gate. It was the septic system wasn't working and there was the system was up on the ground and you could smell it mm. it was just everywhere and that prisoners had scabies and I ended up in um, being able to treat them for their scabies and I said to the director these people have got to get out of here into the sun Mm-hmm. Uh, for some exercise. Oh, and get some fresh air. And he, he, he wouldn't let them out because he said the wall wasn't high enough. And so I said, well, why don't you put some guards out there and, and, and uh, they'll watch so many at a time. But he didn't trust his guards. Hmm. So I thought, well, the only thing then is to get this wall built. And uh, oh, I did a lot of um, work in there and ending up and getting a the wall built in a beautiful exercise yard so they can get out and play ball. And, oh, the prisoners, they made things for me and I got gifts and it was amazing, you know. I just ended up in tears and my translator, he says, what's the matter with you? (laughs) I couldn't control myself. (laughs) Mm. So you went back to Australia and raised the funds so they could build a higher wall, is that it? And within no time, I had the right money. It was just poured in. And uh, I went back the next year in 1996. Mm-hmm. And actually, in 95, I went to the Deputy Prime Minister. And he went with me to the prison to have a look at everything that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And he said, we can't do too much unless you can raise half the funds. And I said, well, we'll do that. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. 
so that's when I went back to Australia and I raised the funds mm-hmm. and got back again to him. And he went in there and with his army, he, he built the wall. And I was actually the one that was inside the prison and all the prisoners were out having a wonderful time on the outside. <laughs> Wow, that, that must have been a wonderful feeling, knowing that you could improve oh, so many people's lives. Those, I've made so many prison friends. Uh, it was a, just beautiful. I, I thought, if only I could speak Arabic, you know. Mm. But um, they had nothing, and so I decided I put in a little library there. And there was a Christian crowd that we stayed with there who, who were, um, they weren't Kurdish, but they're um, Chaldeans. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were Christian, of course, and they helped me buy books that would be suitable to put into the prison. But I bought a whole lot of Bibles. Mm -hmm. And I was very nervous because I took a risk putting Bibles into the prison. Yeah. So then we had to get proper shelves put up for the books. and But I just prayed over these Bibles and, and put them all in amongst their... Arabic um, stories. Mm-hmm. They love um, they love uh, Shakespeare. There, it's amazing, huh. and <laughs> you, can, you can get old books of Shakespeare. And so, I got those books and the Bible, and I mixed the Bible amongst the books. <laughs> ah, very good. <laughs> so then, when we were leaving the prison one day, the, the guards were all saying, "Hey, Mrs. Angel," which is they want the Bible. So I said, okay. So the next time I went back, we handed all those that, all the guards that wanted Bibles. We gave them the Book of Luke in in Kurdish. Mm. So we were doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, planting some more yeah. seeds. And then I understand yeah. that swimming became part of what you were doing in yeah. Iraq as well. It did. I, I desperately wanted to have a swim actually to start off with, and somebody said, oh, he knows, he knew where where I could get a swim, it was in the city of Erbil. And they make ice at an iceworks, see. And they took me down to this iceworks and there was a huge tank which apparently cools their system down something to make ice. Mm. And so I was jumping in that in that tank <laughs> <laughs> to have a swim. Mm. But I, I had to be put in long pants and stuff. Yeah. So I'd walk back along the street all drippy wet, but it didn't matter. I hadn't swim. <laughs> and um, then I got involved with um, the doctors, and they then really wanted to learn how to swim. So in another town, uh, they'd emptied. Uh, the pool didn't have any water in it there originally. I mean, they had pools and everything was lovely before Saddam attacked. Mm, yeah. But they filled the pool particularly for me so that I could teach these doctors to swim. <laughs> so you were, again, instructing men, which is against yes. the culture. Yes. Is that right? And I had to, yeah, I had to get in the water with them and, because they were absolutely hopeless in the water. They would have drowned <laughs> themselves. And uh, so I just I couldn't believe it. Here I am teaching doctors in Iraq to swim. Yeah, yeah. So I've learned, you know, you don't challenge God that he can't do anything. That's right. That's right. And how did your time in Iraq come to an end? Well, we're in the city of Erbil, which I said before, and um, we were 
stay near where the UN was and they, they the UN announced to us that we had to get out of our, our accommodation and come to their place that night because the city was being attacked by Saddam Hussein. Mm. So in tanks were rolling and, and it was the most weird, weird, um, lonely sort of place. All the guards that were out the front of everybody's houses had gone out, taken their guard uniform off and run away up the mountain, so hmm. disappeared. So there was no law and order and the shepherds were bringing their sheep in for protection and we knew that it was serious and then the UN said, you'll have to come and stay the night with us. And mm. that, so that's what we did. And then very early the next morning, they said, you've got to grab things and go mm. and we'll escort you out. Mm. And we had no choice. We had to leave a lot of stuff behind. But we just had to do what the UN had told us to do. Yeah, but um, that was a very, very sad time. Mm-hmm. A lot of looting went on then because mm-hmm. we had big uh, storage places to try and feed people and people were breaking into all the storage places and, mm-hmm. and robbing things and, oh, it was dreadful. But what I noticed in Iraq, it was beautiful when you're up the mountains and you watch the shepherds mm-hmm. and they don't drive their sheep. They walk in front of their sheep and the sheep follow them. Oh. It's it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, kind of like yeah. we're supposed to do following our shepherd, Jesus. Yes. That's exactly right. It, mm-hmm. it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Well, unfortunately, yeah. we're running out of time. There's so much more that happened, but over 30 years later, that area has now rebuilt pretty much. Is that right? Yes, it has. And I've seen photos, and they want me to come back, but I'm I'm not going because I'm not really well enough to be able to cope with it. Hmm. But I had one of the uh, Arabic people that still live there, he, he stayed there and, and survived. All our workers were evacuated out, all the Kurdish mm-hmm. workers. Yeah. Yeah. But one of them stayed, and when he, when I contacted him, I said, is there any way I could come back? And so I organised that, and I said, oh, is there a hotel I could stay in? And he, he emailed me back and he said, my house is your hotel, and huh. my car is your taxi. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. They're well, beautiful people. Well, we've run out of time, but we should say that you did go on to do ministry in an island just off of Bali called Lombok, and then also you yeah. went to Uganda and so much more yeah. that is in your book. But just kind of yeah. looking back on all of your adventures in ministry that all happened after you were 50, originally you were thinking, oh, how could God use a swimmer? But yeah. but as we have heard in your story, well, first off, you're much more than just a swimmer, but also God used the swimming, too. Yeah, he did, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So just kind of summing up uh, your experiences in ministry and how God has used you, what what would you uh, say is the lesson that you learned through it all? Um, I just say that, you know, God does speak to us in different ways, mm-hmm. but often it's a very still small voice and uh, I personally get prompted with different things and then I'm almost disregarded and then I think I go back and I think I must do that because I believe God is prompting me to do this when I'm trying to brush it aside Mm. so I 
still, even against my own will, sometimes I will go and do what originally came up because I believe that God is leading that way. And that's the way God speaks. You know, a lot of people challenge you and you can't hear God's voice, mm. but he speaks in different ways. And we've got to be prepared to listen. Yeah, and sometimes the evil one gets us to think, yeah, I'm, I'm nothing special. God can't use me. All I am is a, a swimmer or a janitor or whatever. But yes. uh, God says, no, no, whoever you yes. are, you're significant. Yes. That's right. Yes. Gloria Hardy, thank you so much for sharing your amazing adventures with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that was part two of Eric Scatterbo's conversation with Gloria Hardy, who's the author of the book, the Master's Touch, about the many adventures she's gone on serving the Lord. Today, we've mainly focused on her time in northern Iraq, but this was just the first of many adventures she's gone on in many parts of the world. And Gloria says that some verses in the Bible that were pivotal in her being guided by the Lord were Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And we've heard that this is how she lived her life, like when she was in northern Iraq and she heard bombs exploding and gunfire in the distance. She trusted the Lord and was given a special peace by God to get through it all. This is a good example for all of us, for all aspects of our lives, to trust in the Lord and not just when bombs are exploding. Well, thanks so much for joining us for Gloria Hardy's incredible stories. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.